This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, here to talk the Minnesota Vikings today. Uh, Matthew Collar here to join me from uh, our co-podcaster uh, from Blue Wire. Matthew, how are you doing? I am doing great. Well, better than the Minnesota Vikings after losing to Cooper Rush, I would say. It was a tough game to watch, I, I'm sure, as a Vikings fan. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where people can fi- talk football with you, first of all. Yeah, sure. Uh, the podcast is Purple Insider, and um, that's wherever you get your podcast. Same, same as yours, I'm sure. And um, you know, PurpleInsider.substack.com is where we do our written work. We do it uh, the newsletter style. 
So people can check that out as well. There's a lot of stuff that's open on there if Ravens fans are interested in just seeing what the talk is in Minnesota. But I can assure you it's not a whole lot of talk about how the Vikings are going to prepare for Lamar Jackson. It's mostly talk about whether the head coach and general manager are going to make it through the entire season after they've fallen to three and four and lost to a guy who's never played football before a quarterback <laughs> last week. Well, he has an excited family, though, and that counts for something. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, we certainly have dealt occasionally with the Ravens being in this position. Vikings, a very talented team, uh, certainly performing below expectations. Didn't do the Ravens any favor with the with a loss to the Bengals earlier this year. But kind of take us through a little bit of uh, the the what's happened this year to the Vikings, who who are darlings of PFF in terms of their ratings, but but just in terms of their overall record, certainly have not met that. Yeah, I think that um, this is a situation where you have the sum of the parts um, is maybe greater than the whole. What's Is that the opposite of the saying, how it usually goes? The whole is not what it should be based yeah. on the talent that they have. And now mm-hmm. um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit. Losing Daniil Hunter to a season-ending injury is maybe changes this formula a little bit. Um, but when you go through their roster, um, so far what they've had this season, Daniil Hunter is a pro bowler, Eric Hendricks, Anthony Barr, Harrison Smith, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins. I mean, these are all Pro Bowl players. And um, to not be able to get more out of them when they had plenty of opportunities. Uh, You mentioned the Bengals game. They got down early. They came back in that game, had a chance to win it, fumbled it away. They had a chance to beat the Arizona Cardinals and they missed a field goal. And after that, there was a lot of talk of, well, look, I mean, they've had some bad breaks here at the beginning of the season. But then... Uh, the offense seemed to sputter, as it so often does in the Kirk Cousins era, where there will be hot streaks, and he's talked about as, hey, could he be an MVP candidate? And PFF ranks him wherever, and all those types of things. Uh, but then the offense will hit the skids at some point, and that's what it's done in recent weeks. They played a close game with Detroit that should not have been close at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they got the week before that completely shut down by the Cleveland Browns. They struggled for an entire half against Carolina, finally showed up in the second half of that game, and it still ended up in overtime against Carolina. So we knew that they were very flawed, um, but I didn't think that they were flawed enough to lose to the Dallas Cowboys with Cooper Rush because um, it's not exactly like Cooper Rush pulled a Mike White and suddenly threw for 400 yards and was good for the whole game. I mean, he struggled. He turned the ball over at times. Uh, They early in the game wanted to run and run and run and didn't push it down the field, but um, the Vikings offense just could not get anything going. And that's kind of been the story of the Cousins era is every time you sort of think, oh, they're turning a corner and they really found it here. Um, there's just a downturn that is right around the corner. And I mean, when you look at the, the QB win statistic, I know that people do not like it. It's the, you know, statistical analysts, they've got a lot of other numbers they want to look at to break down a quarterback. But when you've played over a hundred games in your career, and your 500 quarterback, and every team you've been on has been seven wins, eight wins, nine wins. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you get to a point where you're like, I think this is kind of who the guy is, and almost um, you would need a, a perfect roster around him and a perfect scheme that all fits him just just so, and then a perfect schedule. This schedule has not been easy, and it doesn't get easy. I think you would need all of those things for them to be anything more than what they've been over the last couple of years with Kirk Cousins. Okay, well, that's uh, that's uh, certainly a load to go on. Let's take a step back here and talk about this offseason and, and, and the big moves to, to assemble this Vikings team. Who was the biggest acquisition? Uh, it was probably Patrick Peterson, um, which was 
I mean, a little questionable from the start, honestly, based on his recent play uh, in Arizona the last few years. He had not put up good numbers, whether you look at the target numbers or the penalty numbers or what PFF grades him. And I know that corners can go up and down in PFF grade from year to year, but two straight seasons of being down, uh, look at his age. I mean, it was one of those where you thought, okay, so they're they're going to take some risks here in this offseason because they know that the defense was so poor last year that they need to fix it even if it costs them too much and even if they're sort of pushing chips to the middle of the table. I look at the Delvin Tomlinson moves the same way. That was their other big signing. Where it's like Delvin Tomlinson is a really good player. I've got a lot of respect for the way he plays the game. But is he worth the contract that you signed him for? Probably not. And then they signed him and moved in positions from nose tackle to three technique, which they seem to really like doing. But that's also questionable when you're asking a guy to do something different than what he was doing with his previous team. So those were really the two big signings for them. And then they added a lot of other ones. I mean, they added Bashad Breland and Xavier Woods. And um, so they they tried to basically fill up every opening that they had through free agency on the defensive side. Now, you mentioned Tomlinson moving to three-tech. We're, we're very familiar with a similar thing happening with Brandon Williams moving to three-tech. Same player pushed him with the nose tackle, Brandon Pierce, uh, Michael Pierce. I always call him that. Michael Pierce being the, uh, the instigator of that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was interesting that, right, Pierce signed two years ago, and then he sat out due to COVID concerns, and then they still signed another nose tackle. And I think that the idea is not a bad one, which is if you can stuff the run with these two dudes in the middle and you can Mm -hmm. create a Williams wall from back in the day with the Vikings, or I grew up watching the Buffalo Bills, Ted Washington and Pat Williams were on the same team once. That was unbelievable. No one could run against them. Then you force teams to run to the outsides and you have one of the best sideline to sideline linebackers in the NFL in Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr is good at this too, tracking down running backs sideline to sideline. So there's that. And then if you can get them in second and long, third and long, then you can play two deep safeties and it all sort of comes together. I think that that was the idea. The problem is that Michael Pierce hasn't been healthy. Um, And so they've tried to rotate these other players in. Armand Watts, who's shown some signs. Sheldon Richardson, another signing that has gone completely bust so far this season. And so now you have Delvin Tomlinson still playing that three technique, but they're moving other people into the nose. And then some plays he's at the nose and it's just been a little jumbled. Uh, They weren't as bad against the run against Dallas as I thought they were going to be. Uh, But still, I think that's a major vulnerability for them as long as Michael Pierce is out, which I don't know if he's going to play this week or not, but he's been out for a big chunk of the season now. Oh, that's a big deal. So if if you're thinking, you know, Pierce and Williams certainly together were a lot like Adams and Syracuse and Baltimore, but we completely understand the 4-3. Even though the Ravens had a 3-4 almost their entire existence, they did have a 4-3 during that 2000 championship season and played it very similar to, to what you're describing there. Uh, let's talk about uh, the, the draft and maybe some developmental players as well. It's a kind of two questions. Let's start with the draft. Uh, who were the biggest uh, selections this year? I mean, they haven't had almost anybody make an impact this year. I mean, it, so they had a chance to get a quarterback in the draft and sort of change the trajectory of their future. They attempted to trade up for Justin Fields. They didn't offer Carolina enough. And then they could have taken Mac Jones with their pick. They elected not to and to trade down to take Christian Derrissaw. Their hope was that Christian Derrissaw could fill the shoes of Riley Reef, who left in free agency. And that's a 
the whole backstory with that too of why Riley Reef still isn't here, and it involves Yannick Ngakwe, and I won't get into it. Uh, but so they draft uh, Christian Derisaw also because they decided very early on that Ezra Cleveland was a guard and not a tackle. They picked him in the second round the year before, so sort of chasing their tail a little bit here at this position. Mm-hmm. And the hope was that Derisaw could come in, play right away, fill that spot, and be solid. Um, but he got hurt in uh, OTAs or minicamp, and he had to have groin surgery, and so that kept him out for a big chunk of the season. That left Rashad Hill with the left tackle spot. Rashad Hill is just a swing tackle, solid backup guy that everybody likes, but once you play him five, six games in a row, I mean, he had to play against Miles Garrett. That was just not going to work. Um, so uh, Derisaw finally got in to start against Carolina, played really well against the Panthers, and then Randy Gregory welcomed him to the NFL last week. <laughs> And that's the end of the story for the Minnesota Vikings draft so far. Now, I'm not saying that none of these guys will ever become anything, but they just haven't played. Uh, Wyatt Davis, their guard, third-round guard, who was drafted to start, has been inactive. Um, Patrick Jones was drafted to maybe develop into a situational rusher. Has not played. Been inactive. Janarius Robinson got hurt. Um They've played Cam Bynum like four snaps. I mean, there's there's nobody else who has contributed from this draft so far. Now, so in the case of Patrick Jones, it was a very shallow defensive line draft. That's one of the things because the Ravens were in very much in need of defensive line help. I thought Christian Barmore would have been a good first round pick for them. Was Patrick Jones a reach at all as a three in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think he was. And this is sort of a trend for this team. If you go back and look, uh, they drafted Daniil Hunter in 2015 in the third round. And they have been trying to draft the next Daniil Hunter over and over and over from Jalen Holmes to Stephen Weatherly to, I mean, there's just a bunch that you could name um, that have not really turned into anything. Uh, Ade Aruna was a guy who they, and they talk about them all the same way. Well, there's a lot of DJ Wanham is this way. Who's now going to start with Daniel Hunter out. Well, he's very lanky and he's a great guy. And so he's a lot like Daniel Hunter. And guess what? None of them are like Daniel Hunter because Adafi Owe is the type of guy who's like Daniel Hunter, but he gets drafted in the first round now that they missed on Daniel Hunter, but the NFL, it learns in the draft, I think. And it saw what he did and said, we're not going to worry too much about that sack total. We're going to focus on the athleticism that he has and take him in the first. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Vikings were looking for that type of guy. They took Janarius Robinson, who's got a little jump to him. He got hurt. And Patrick Jones had a good senior bowl. They love the senior bowl. And and look, I think a lot of drafting is random, so I want to make that clear. But some of their process – here and trying to chase the next Daniel Hunter and draft defensive ends in the third round. Everyone knows how valuable those guys are. And so like quarterbacks, if they've got a chance, they get taken in the first. And if they don't, I mean, you might as well just not even, not even bother until like the sixth or seventh with pure guys who might be overachievers. Kenny Willickis is like an overachiever. Might as well take Mm -hmm. him in the seventh round. But I think that process has been pretty flawed the way they've approached the defensive line. All right. All right. Injuries this season. Obviously, Hunter is as significant as it gets, but who else has been mistimed for the Vikings this year? Well, Patrick Peterson being out and on IR currently is a big problem for them because Bashad Breeland has struggled quite a bit. And Cam Dantzler was a guy that they drafted in the third round in 2020. They expected him to develop into a starting corner has not shown signs of that. Um, He showed a little flashes in his first season, but uh, this year he lost his backup position briefly in preseason to Chris Boyd, who's a special teamer. Uh, I think that was more of a message to Cam Dantzler. And then when he's gotten his opportunities – 
To say ups and downs would be very generous to him. Many more downs than ups so far, including giving up the game-winning touchdown, which I just watched a breakdown from Darius Butler on why Cam Dantzler misplayed that ball on the game-winning touchdown by Amari Cooper. So it's been a really rough ride for Dantzler. Um, so he's very likely going to start, I assume, unless they're going to bench him, but probably not. Uh, so that's a big injury for them because Peterson was playing okay, probably above expectations. The other one is uh, Irv Smith Jr., their tight end. He was lost right before the season. He had an incredibly good training camp. Like, I, I'm I'm not overhyping how good he was in camp. I mean, he was looking like he was about to take this big step into the tight end number one shoes and become a, a star player in the NFL and then had a knee injury. And so he's out for the year. And Tyler Conklin has stepped in. He can make some plays. Uh, he's a decent player, probably as good as a tight end number two as you're going to find. But he's not of the level of a downfield threat as Irv Smith or run after the catch as Irv Smith. Um, so that was a big loss for them. But it's been made up for by uh, K.J. Osborne sort of um, emerging as a wide receiver three now that they're not playing as many two tight end sets. Okay, so is that the only injury on offense that has been really significant for the Vikings this year? No offensive line injuries or anything? Aside from Darisaw. Yeah, Darisaw got off to the slow start because of the groin injury and didn't get to play okay. until the Carolina game two weeks ago. But, yeah, that's it. I mean, they've been healthy. They play like a team that would have some injuries and holes, <laughs> but they have been a, a pretty much fully healthy offensive unit outside of Irv Smith Jr. So there's a lot of envy here in Baltimore for the Vikings current injury situation. I can tell you that. Let's let's talk long run cap situation. Uh, are, are the Vikings in a win now mode based on who they have? Obviously, they they think they have the talent to do it. That's not surprising. But from a contract perspective, are they in good shape? No, they haven't been in good shape for a long time. Um, the one thing that they do is they use every amount of cash that their owners can dig up to restructure contracts and to create cap space. Um, but I think that any close analysis of teams that do that will show that eventually the bill comes. Mm -hmm. um, that any given year, and they did this this year, you can restructure this guy, you can move around that contract. But I mentioned, I alluded to the Riley Reef issue. So last year they traded for Yannick Ngakwe. When they realized the Ngakwe thing wasn't going to work, um, they traded him away eventually. But in the process, Riley Reef had to completely redo his contract and take a huge pay cut in order for them to afford Ngakwe on the roster. Mm -hmm. And because of that, Riley Reef said, see ya, I'm going to go play for somebody else this offseason instead of staying with the Vikings, which he could have done. Um, and they also couldn't afford to give him more money to like wink, wink, make up for making him take a pay, pay cut before. Um, I would also look at the defensive end situation. They had to bring back Everson Griffin as opposed to maybe signing Trey Hendrickson or Carl Lawson, who I know got mm -hmm. hurt, but I think they were in the mix there. Uh, Joe Tooney, I heard that they were in on the conversation there, but got outbid. I mean, this has been a, a pretty consistent thing for them where they've paid all of their stars and they just did this again with Harrison Smith. They make sure all their stars get top dollar contracts. They paid Brian O'Neill top dollar. And then they have to hope that there's players on rookie contracts who end up becoming really, really good. Sure. So, so far there's been some who have and a lot who haven't. And that's where I think a lot of the weaknesses come on this roster. But in terms of being an all in, I, the nature of being all in is more about Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, their GM and head coach, because those guys have been here a long time and they have zero trips to the Super Bowl. They have one trip to the NFC Championship and a lot of disappointing seasons. And when you win two playoff games over eight years, that's not enough in the NFL to keep you around. You, you need more than that. And so they made a lot of win now type of moves this year that so far 
have not paid dividends and them being any different than they were last year, really. Yeah, I could see for a lot of teams, there's only 88 wins to give out. Let me get, do I have that right? No, there's now 14 teams. It becomes more complicated. When it was 12, it was easier than there were only 88 wins to dole out over over those seasons. And to do 32 teams, you know, you're, you're going to have two to three each is a, is a normal number. But I can understand why the Vikings would have had a higher expectation. Well, let's move on. I, on offense, so I want to talk about Kirk Cousins to start with and, and just what is it about him that is not working out this year? And, and what, what does he do well? Well, uh, let me start with what he does well. Uh, if you give him time to throw, he is as accurate as anyone you will find in the NFL. Um, if people pull up his pro football focus grades, you have to understand what that's telling you, I think. It's telling you when Kirk Cousins throws the football, it's pretty good. Um, it, he can throw a go ball with anybody. If you give him play action bootleg, someone's coming across the field, and he can step into it and throw it with a safe, clean pocket, he's going to make that throw. 100% of the time. If you pay, if you play single high safety and one-on-one coverage with Justin Jefferson, he is going to find Jefferson with great ball placement. And you're going to get big plays out of it. We see that all the time with him. Now, on the other side of it, Cousins is not athletic at all. I mean, he might be, I don't know who, in terms of starting quarterbacks, I don't know who is a worse athlete hmm. in terms of the entire NFL. Uh, This could not be farther apart, two starting quarterbacks, than Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins. And when the offensive line breaks down and when there's pressure, he makes it worse because he doesn't anticipate the pressure well. And even if he did, he couldn't escape you and me chasing after him. And (laughs) I mean, this is just this is the reality of Kirk Cousins. And this is why there's always been a kryptonite. And if you watch the Dallas game, what you're going to see is offensive linemen get beat. Cousins stays in his spot, and when he finally shuffles his feet, he can't put all of his energy into his throw because he does not have a naturally great arm. This is not Josh Allen or something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he has a naturally, I think, weak arm, but he gets everything out of it with like how he you know, just uh, uses his tech throwing technique and torques his body and things like that. But if you're talking about standing flat-footed and you just have to throw the ball, Um, he really struggles with that to do it accurately. So you start to get that kind of happy feet look and it's over and over. What we've seen year after year is there's six, seven times a year where the opposing defensive line beats the Vikings offensive line. And there's not a whole lot that he can do after that. Okay. So one of the things that's interesting comes up is that Martindale has really gone all over the place in terms of scheming to the opposing quarterback's weakness. And it was surprising. It was Justin Herbert. They backed right off. They let him throw against, you know, seven in coverage. And, uh, you know, they, they don't try and blitz Mahomes at all. And they've tried all out against some other quarterbacks. Is this, would you expect the Ravens to be using all of their scheme and deception that they're capable of that you've probably seen on some of the tape this week against Cousins? Yeah, to me, it's much more how can you trick cousins with your coverages can you mix up coverages and make him think for an extra second because that gives the pressure time to get there Um, the vikings do not have a great offensive line they have not at any point uh, that kirk cousins has been their quarterback so if you have time for your defensive linemen to create pressure on their own if you can create pressure with four or five and then mix up make it look like it's going to be cover one and then it's cover two or something like that make it look like it's going to be man and then it's zone when he knows the read and he and he can read blitzes just fine and things like that, he can get to his hots, he can get to his reads, he can do it exactly the way they draw it up. It's just when anything else asks him to do it not the way it's drawn up. When he drops back, 
that's not the coverage that I thought it was going to be. Now what? Um, there's just that extra little tick, and that usually gives time for somebody to get a hand in, get a hand in his face, get around his feet, and that's where things start to come apart. And no matter how much, many plays you draw up, no matter how much quick game, how many bootlegs, whatever, that's the formula. If you can do that, you can beat Kirk Cousins. All right. Hey, Cousins, uh, in terms of a right-handed quarterback's rolling left is almost always death. Is that worse so for Cousins because of his athleticism? We noticed that for Flacco was terrible compared to Lamar, for example. Yeah, it totally depends on the situation. If you are booting him left and he's mm-hmm. rolling to his left and has to flip his hips and he's mm-hmm. got time to do that, he can throw it as well as anybody. He's fantastic at doing that. But if he's trying to run away from you and throw the football, it's just, I mean, there's only a handful of plays I've ever seen him make that are outside of the structure, outside of the pocket, things break down and he's got to get on the move and make a play. It's just not really part of his identity. And I think that, you know, some of the frustration comes from, from the coaches, from the management, from the fans is so many other teams have quarterbacks who can. And Mm -hmm. so now the game is, and usually you're supposed to be Cooper Rush, but like if it was Dak Prescott, it'd be, well, there's a guy over there who does all the things you do well. And then, and the same thing for Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson throws the ball tremendously well, and then he can do all these other things. I mean, I, I looked this up last off season, Kirk cousins going into this year had fewer rushing yards than Teddy Bridgewater and Bridgewater had been a backup and only started one season. I mean, he just, he, he just has no dynamic element to his game. And the defenses that can figure out how to sort of get him into those situations, they can usually win. However, I would say that if you don't pressure him, he will light you up. He'll throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns just like that. Um, You know, it's just that usually the better defenses find a way to rush with four uh, and they mix up their coverages. And that's why when he plays the Lions, he throws for 400 yards every time because Matt Patricia was coaching him and didn't have much of an idea of what he was doing. So um, <laughs> that really depends. I mean, I, I think the, the Ravens are built for this. I think they're built to make life difficult on Kirk Cousins. And do you see any problems with noise and being uh, loud places on the road? No, definitely not. No, I mean, he is as well-trained of a quarterback as you're going to find, inexperienced. I mean, I watched him win a playoff game in the Superdome where he played fantastic the whole game, start to finish. Uh, Threw a game-winning touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, made a miraculous throw, but just like a dime, not lucky, a dime to Adam Thielen to set up that win. Um, I don't think think he's a guy that gets uh, anxious because of that. I think it's entirely... And there's the, the primetime narrative, too, of like, well, the guy struggles in primetime. Usually in primetime, you're playing a good team that has a good defense, though. Right. I mean, that's often the case. And I, I think it's much more about the other team's personnel, his own offensive line, and can you kind of get him off his spot early? And then there will be long-term implications throughout a game if you can uh, cause him to get a little bit anxious early in the game. Okay, fantastic detail on Kirk Cousins. We kind of have to pick it up a little bit, although I'll talk to you for as long as you want. Uh, explain the current state of the offensive line, if you would. Well, so there have been flashes where we thought left, it was left going to, to right, be all five, yeah. if you will. Uh, yeah, uh, we thought it was going to be better um, on the whole. Dara saw it's a week to week type of thing with rookies, right? Like some weeks they can play well, other weeks not. This is why you don't draft somebody to start to save your team, but that's another conversation, I guess. Uh, so Derisaw has shown flashes of being capable 
of being a very solid overall lineman. I mean, he's extremely strong. Uh, he's very, very solid, but like he's a rookie. And so he had lots of rookie moments against Randy Gregory. He was very good against Brian Burns. So you don't know what you're going to get there. At left guard, uh, we're all still confused at why Ezra Cleveland was never tried to tackle, not a single time. Not any of the practices we saw, not preseason games, not week 17 last year when they had a meaningless game and Riley Reef was out. It's just, I don't know. He was a left tackle in college and they never tried him there. And it has not been a success. He was a, a struggling right guard. He's been a struggling left guard. Okay. So I can understand why that, why the Vikings might've done it. I mean, a short arm guy, he was 33 and low 33s anyway for, for the, now we have Rashawn Slater now in the NFL. So it's not like there aren't, there isn't anybody succeeding at an arm length like that, but the, the people who do are exceptions to the rules. And the Ravens have been very strict arm length Nazis with regard to drafting only guys 34 and up pretty much. So, yeah, I, I mean, I understand that part of it, but I mean, I, I don't think that the guy profiled at all as a guard coming out. I mean, he was like not he wasn't like a like a mauler type of tackle, you know, like uh, Connor Williams was a mauler type of tackle. So you understood when they moved him to guard, not that he's been great at it. But with uh, Cleveland, who's more of a finesse, like really good athlete to not try him there at all is bizarre. And it just hasn't worked. For him being a guard. Well, being only the second year, is there still a chance that they that he might move to tackle in an emergency situation at least? And The fact that they brought back Rashad Hill, their swing tackle, kind of said to me, like, that's what you are, is you're a guard, and that's where we're going forward with you. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, and we've asked many times, like, did you guys even consider him at, at tackle? And they said, we always saw him as a guard. So that's what, he been, what he's been, but he has not figured out how to pass protect against quick and powerful defensive tackles. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a totally different technique from doing it at, when you're out of tackle. So I, I wouldn't write the book on him yet as far as like he's a total bust. But um, as of right now, uh, he's probably a below average offensive guard. At center, now I will write Garrett Bradbury off as one of the biggest busts probably the last five years in the NFL draft. Uh, when you take a center in the first round, you expect that guy to be an all-pro. You expect it to be Alex Mack or Travis Frederick. He has been one of the lowest graded by pro football focus centers in the NFL. He consistently is overpowered by anyone bigger than him, but even average players are able to overpower Bradbury in pure pass set situations. And the idea was that he was going to come in and do the reach block thing and dominate in the run blocking. That hasn't been the case either. He's been more of an average run blocker. And um, I, not only do I not think he's a part of the long term, I mean, there's a question of whether he should even play like this week. Um, it's, wow. it's, been, it's been that poor. They have Mason Cole behind him. It's not like he's great shakes either, but it's been that level poor. I think he, the last time I checked, he was either 30th or 31st by PFF for his total grade, and the tape matches up with that. Uh, right guard position, this is another disaster. Um, they attempted to draft Wyatt Davis to start. Wyatt Davis was out of shape and has apparently not gotten in good enough shape to even be active. And uh, so they moved a tackle to right guard basically the day before training camp, Ole Udo. He's way in over his head. I think he leads the league in holding penalties. It's just been a, it's been a struggle at right guard for Ole Udo. Not his fault. I, I mean, this should have been a long process of moving from tackle to guard, and it was more like, uh, you're a guard now. So that has not worked out. Brian O'Neill, though, is fantastic. Just flat out one of the best right tackles in the NFL. He never gives up sacks. Uh, he's extremely athletic. He's a great competitor, great leader on the offensive line. 
you you couldn't ask for more out of your right tackle. It's just all the rest are very suspect. All right. Outstanding stuff. That's great detail on the linemen. Uh, let's move on to the skill positions. The wide receiver core. Talk a little bit about what each brings to the game. Well, when they throw to them, it's usually <laughs> very successful. Uh, this is the this is the big conundrum with the Vikings because Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, just like Stephon Diggs before him, uh, they're unstoppable. I have never seen any corner be able to just flat out shut those guys down. And the same went for Stephon Diggs, and then the Bills proved it by throwing to him all the time. It's just that Cousins won't throw when someone's double covered, and he will really um, you know, make his reads very fast when he's getting pressured. And so I've seen it, I don't know how many times against Chicago, because they have Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack, where it's like, well, those guys are open downfield, but they're getting after him up front, and we get checkdowns to the running backs and the fullback and sacks and things like that. And uh, Mike Zimmer also has been very committed, so I don't want to make it all Cousins' fault, like Mike Zimmer has been very committed to the run. And this was at the center of Stefan Diggs' frustration, is that Mike Zimmer wanted to be a run-first football team, and Stefan Diggs said, Throw it to me all the time, and I bet we'll win. And then Buffalo said, okay, and they did. Um, but Justin Jefferson has been a really good soldier so far, but he only got four targets against the Dallas Cowboys the other night in a game that they lost to a backup quarterback. I have got to imagine that the frustration has built um, up to the roof. But as far as Jefferson, I don't know that there's a clearly better wide receiver in the entire league outside of maybe Devontae Adams. But even then, if they treated Jefferson like Adams where they threw it to him every time, he would have numbers that I think were the same. He does everything well. He runs routes well. He uh, can go up and get it. He can create separation. He can break tackles. There's nothing that Justin Jefferson can't do. And I think it's one of their biggest failures as an offense that he isn't one of the league leaders in targets. With with them having uh, well, you t- talk about Adam Thielen a little bit first, and the, and the rest of the receivers, and then we'll we'll come back to this because I have a question about the Ravens and how they might defend against these. Yeah, I mean Adam Thielen is he's Adam Thielen. I mean he's a great route runner. He can catch anything down the field, and this is another frustration of his. Where when Case Keenum was their quarterback in 2017, Case Keenum is nowhere near as talented as Kirk Cousins. But one thing he had going for him is whenever things broke down, he just threw it up to Diggs and Thielen, and it worked a lot because Thielen is one of the best that I've ever seen in person at tracking the football in the air and being able to get himself not only in a position to catch it, but just to be able to grab anything. Like his hands are so strong um, that he can bring in anything near him. And that's why they've been trying to get cousins to trust them more at Thielen and Jefferson, even into double coverage because they can just make plays. But it's just not in his DNA to take those risks. Uh, and so Thielen's, I think he's had a great year uh, and just hasn't gotten enough targets. Um, K.J. Osborne is the interesting story here, a guy who's emerged as their wide receiver three. They really, really struggled to find a third wide receiver for years. Laquan Treadwell, Kendall Wright, Michael Floyd, like they tried everything. Josh Doxson was there for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and K.J. Osborne, fifth-round draft pick, has emerged as somebody who's made some huge plays for them. And Without him, they might be like one in six or something. I mean, he's made some huge plays in the games that they've won. Um, so he's emerged as a good wide receiver three. And that's why when you look at them and say they're 18th in scoring, you go, how? With all the talent that's around Kirk Cousins. How, who's dominating the slot time? Is that Osborne or is Thielen still getting a fair amount of slot time? Everybody plays there. Uh, I think when you look at the breakdowns, it's like 
you know, 30% for Thielen, 30% for Jefferson. Osborne plays quite a bit there. They use two tight ends sometimes too. Uh, not as often, obviously, with um, Irv Smith out. But uh, they'll, they'll put anybody anywhere, pretty much. These guys are capable of doing just about anything. All right. Let's talk about the tight ends briefly here. Uh, you mentioned the injury to Irv Smith, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Irv Smith uh, out for the season guy who was, uh, I think, a budding star in the league. And maybe uh, I don't know if that would have made a big difference to where they're at in their offense, because, you know, the same problems are kind of the same problems. But he was one where everybody was really crushed when he went down because he had had such a good training camp. And so Tyler Conklin steps in as a guy who has great hands and is got a little bit more quickness than you expect from a second tight end, uh, but he's not like a weapon. He's not somebody you're game planning for saying, Oh, we have to start with Tyler Conklin, but you would think that with so much attention for the other guys, there would be op- more openings for him to get the ball. Um, there just hasn't really been that this year uh, so far, but I think he's done a, he's done a fine job. And then they've, they've scrambled at the backup tight end. They traded a fourth round pick for Chris Herndon, who has one catch. It was a touchdown, but he's been totally ineffective for them. Um, so it's, it's not a position you go into and go, Oh man, you got to watch out for the Vikings tight ends. Okay, so uh, a lot they they split a tight end, or they play twelve personnel a fair amount, or is it typically a, a eleven committed offense? It's become more of eleven. Uh, in the past, it was mostly a two tight end offense, but they've changed that. They had Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, so they would use them. And Irv Smith was essentially the wide receiver three, just kind of a big wide receiver three that they could also use to run. But now that K.J. Osborne has proven that he can be a really effective receiver, it's become much more of an 11 personnel team. Okay. Do they play a lot of YY or spread on downs that don't aren't obvious passing downs? Not really. I mean, that's sort of the predictability of this Vikings offense in recent years. And I think that some of the league is caught up to this a little bit. Um, They're doing it more. I would say they're definitely doing it more than we expected. If Irv Smith had been healthy, then they would have been using the two tight ends. But it's not often. I mean, it's not often you're going to see Kirk Cousins walk out with five wide receivers all out. Um, that's pretty rare on first down. That's pretty rare. It's mostly you're going to have the kind of traditional type of sets. You don't see a ton of bunch formations and things like that with this team. Um, and I think there is probably a creative element that's lacking when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's when it's third and eight, it's shotgun. It's under center for first and 10. Like they're kind of standard in that way. Yeah, I'm noticing that, that uh, CJ Ham has about 162 snaps here as a fullback. Uh, it, it, so that means a fair amount of 21 personnel they've yeah, used. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. CJ Ham has become over the years, a pretty effective weapon for him because, or for them, because they can line him up at that second tight end position. Uh, they do some nice things with him on bootlegs and rollouts where he's kind of the backside guy taking mm-hmm. on the defensive end and they feel very comfortable with him blocking. He can catch the ball every once in a while. He breaks a 20 or 30 yard run because he does have some, a little bit of moves to him. He's a former running back. And, you know, that's, be, that, that's become a nice element for them. I think that in the recent years when they were running two tight ends and a lot of 21 personnel, too, with C.J. Ham out there and mixing and matching, opposing teams would come in and not really know what to do all the time because they were usually facing 11 personnel as the majority of the NFL. And they would come in and like, oh. Uh, we got to put three linebackers on the field. And that was a big advantage for the Vikings. I think they've used it to some extent this year, but maybe not as much as they did under Kevin Stefanski or Gary Kubiak. Hmm. 
Okay, yeah, Gary Kubiak's years in Baltimore, well-remembered. I'm sure you guys appreciated having him as the OC there, too. Uh, running back, let's uh, go through, obviously, Dalvin Cook, the, the main ball carrier, but the others as well. Yeah, I mean, you only really need to talk about Dalvin Cook as long as he's healthy uh, because they don't use anyone else. I mean, every so often when Cook is healthy, you'll see Alexander Madison, who is a good player. In my opinion, has better hands than Delvin Cook. Uh, you can actually send him out a little bit over the middle and, and throw him the ball and he can make a play. Uh, he's more of a bowling ball guy than like a 75-yard touchdown breakout kind of thing. But you're just not going to see him. I mean, as long as Delvin Cook is 100%, they will play Delvin Cook the whole game. And they'll give him the ball too many times. And he <laughs> is he's everything that's as advertised. I mean, he is a explosive, dynamic talent. And if you slow him down, that's another, like, you can win the football game if you don't allow Delvin Cook a 60-yard touchdown on you. Um in recent weeks, though, Delvin has not had quite the same level of explosiveness because he's been dealing with an ankle injury that happened in week two, kept him out. Uh, the bye week probably helped him a little bit, but it just, even against Dallas, didn't quite have that same juice that he usually has. And so that might end up being a factor. But um, they activated Kenny Wongwu, who's a fourth-round draft pick. He's as quick as any player I've ever seen up close but it won't matter. Like he's not going to play. He'll be the kick returner and Justin Tucker will kick it over his head and he can wave to everybody, but <laughs> you're not going to see anybody play really very much except for Dalvin Cook. All right. We talked a little bit about 21, about some of the YY spread, whatnot. Any other common formations or plays we get out of the Minnesota Vikings on a weekly basis? You know, what's funny about that is there seemed to be some things that they were mixing in that I thought, Oh, that's interesting or clever early on the season. And they've just, kind of gone away from it uh, in, in one particular instance, and it was only once, but it really stood out. They put Madison and Cook on the field at the same time, so against Arizona, and they put Cook in the slot, and then they motioned him in and gave him an end-around handoff. And it took a great play by the Arizona safety for that not to turn into a, a huge break for Delvin Cook. And after they did that, I thought, oh, okay, maybe we'll see like two running backs on the field at the same time. Haven't seen it since. Uh, and aside from that, I mean, it's it's pretty traditional stuff. I mean, I think that they're trying to run the Gary Kubiak offense. The only thing I would say is different from the Kubiak offense is they use more quick game. So they use a lot of uh, wide receiver screens and stuff like that to get the ball in the hands of Thielen and Jefferson. Those haven't been particularly successful. It's going to be the bootleg stuff. You know, I mean, it's going to be I formation sometimes. It's going to be, you know, just pretty pretty traditional straight up stuff that you would have played on like Madden 2000. <laughs> so that's funny. Uh, so you get a lot of the standard I formation boot, zone back left, naked boot, right kind of thing. Uh, that was a Kubiak uh, darling. And, and I, it's always been my philosophy that an immobile quarterback gives you a better chance to get that backside edge defender fooled because he's not looking out for it. The Jackson boot never works. Yeah, huh, that's interesting. Trying. Yeah. Yeah, because I would have thought that you know the Jackson boot, because he could take off and create yeah. something big there, that that would work better. Uh, I do think it's a really particular fit for certain quarterbacks. And, and I think that it fits great with what Kirk Cousins can do. The problem is that the rest of the league also understands what kind of offense you're running if you've done it for several years. So I think that Clint Kubiak came in and said, how about we bring in this quick game part of it? We throw some more slants and things like that. And it was successful early on. But they got away from you know the boot stuff, and then they brought it back against Carolina, hit on some big plays with it, tried to bring it back again against 
Dallas, but they were ready and they just had their their safeties deep. And this is why it's really key. If other teams can play their two deep safeties, it's hard to get over the top on those deep crossing routes on anybody. And Cousins won't throw it into the tight windows. So you end up with a lot of those just like short, quick passes to the the fullback, the tight end coming across the middle, things like that. Um, so it's 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 so interesting with Cousins because it's been so many different offensive coordinators that we've watched all try their different fingerprints on a similar offense. And you've sort of got similar results where the fantasy owners probably love it. Uh, and there are just still these games where the opposing defense just has the right answers for Cousins. Okay, so one of the things for the Ravens this year so far has been a tremendous amount of weakness at inside linebacker. They may have gotten it figured out these last couple of weeks by going back to Josh Bynes, unbelievably, for the second time in three years to fix their problems and over overplaying, overextending, some linebackers just weren't ready to take the job, Patrick Queen included. So they moved Patrick Queen back to the weak side. How would you expect Cousins to attack you know, weakness in the middle of the field like that? Yeah, I think that that's where those play actions come into play because what I've seen from good teams against Cousins is the linebackers can, uh, they call sometimes a robot around quickly and get back into those lanes. And when you run the same play action concepts for a really long time, linebackers are taught throughout the week, well, this is where the route combination is probably going behind you. Now, they have Mm -hmm. gotten creative at times with, especially with Kevin Stefanski, but not as much with Clint Kubiak. I think that's where probably the most though, because Carolina really struggled with all of their linebackers. I think their top linebacker was out. Their linebackers ran at Delvin Cook like a dog with, you know, somebody with meat strapped to their leg. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, they were just attacking so hard downhill at Delvin Cook. And then as soon as the play action happened, they were so far out of position. They were scrambling. And if you do that against Kirk Cousins and it creates open wide receivers, he will hit every single one and it will be a long day for your defense. I I heard you say, you know, linebackers are taught to understand what's going on behind them. And I go, uh oh, because that's exactly my beef with the Ravens linebacking core is not one of them, with the exception of Bynes. Bynes is a, is a savvy veteran, but none of the young guys really understood anything about uh, about what was going on behind them. Not sure if you heard or not. Malik Harrison involved in an incident in Cleveland, of all places, last week got shot in the leg. Does not seem to be particularly serious, but he's not going to play in this game, I'm fairly sure. Yeah, and that's the thing that on the other side of the ball what, that makes Eric Hendricks so special, I think, is just his very, very high IQ. And so running play actions and boots and things like that all the time, it just doesn't really work all that well against the Vikings trying to attack the middle of the field because he's there. But most teams don't have that guy. I mean, how many teams in the league, would you say, have a linebacker like that? Uh, maybe three or four? I mean, they're, they're three down unicorns all over the league, wherever they are. C.J. Mosley is in that category. You know, they, they, Lewis, even though he couldn't cover anybody in his later years, was still incredibly savvy at understanding the route combinations right off the line of scrimmage. So, I, you know, they exist. And, and there's, there's just my opinion. It's really not worth going after three down unicorns in the draft because mm-hmm. you, you're completely SOL when they go down. Yeah. But if you platoon at those positions, it's 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 easier to get all of the things you need in a two-down linebacker plus a sub-package linebacker a lot cheaper and also be a lot at less risk for injury when it happens. So. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And when Eric Hendricks went down last year, uh, SOL was right. Uh, they gave yeah. him 52 <laughs> points like two games later. So, wow. yeah, it's uh, uh, to New Orleans. Uh, yeah, it's – 
it's a it's amazing though how healthy he's been and how good he's been. But there are very few teams that have that, and the Vikings know it. And I think Gary Kubiak made a long career out of it, of knowing that there are just not that many linebackers who are able to make that play. And I think it's also the reason that the Vikings have paid Anthony Barr and stuck with Anthony Barr for so long because he's good at it too. And he's lanky, and there's not too many guys who are six five linebackers these days, and that makes those windows tighter. Um, so on, on that part of the ball, the Vikings have a very unique advantage at linebacker. Yeah, that uh, you know it's a first and dec- second down weakness in particular. The Ravens are are very adept at getting their dime package on the field on third down, and they have better chance to stop that than uh, I think when it happens. Let, let's talk about uh, what I like to always say. First of all, is what's the what's the Vikings most common pass defense look on obvious passing downs so they uh, committed nickel do they play dime what do they do yeah they're going to play nickel um i would say probably 100 percent of the time i mean that's just that's just what they do because they're not going to take anthony barr and eric hendricks off the field so they're going to play in the nickel and then after that though uh this is why mike zimmer is known as one of the best defensive coaches there is I couldn't tell you because it's always something different with him. I mean, he gives a lot of the mug look where they've got the linebackers lined up over the the A-gaps there. Uh, But it's always something different. There's all sorts of different pressures he comes up with. It's fun to watch back on tape like, oh, okay, they were rushing this guy from this place. And I think that the the intelligence of the veteran players, like they know the adjustment that the offensive line is going to make to what they show pre-snap. And then they adjust after that. So when the offensive line resets the mic, then they will make their own call to, okay, now we know where they're looking, so we're going to do it a different way. And so they'll overload sides. They'll come straight up the middle. They'll send corners. Randomly, uh, Cooper Rush gets strip-sacked against Xavier Woods blitzing. Xavier Woods has not blitzed a single time all year. And Outside then, corner, right? Uh, he's a safety. And then he just – he comes and blitzes. And, you know, this This happened with uh, Mackenzie Alexander, who was their nickel corner a couple of years ago against Aaron Rodgers. He had never blitzed, and then all of a sudden blitzed like five times in a game. And that's Zimmer for you. I mean, he just finds ways to be creative, and that's where, you know, opposing teams always have a tough time against the Vikings on third down. All right. Well, certainly when Zimmer was was coaching in the AFC North, uh, he, he was a challenge. Uh, let's talk about uh, rotation depth and snap management. I, I'm really talking specifically about the front five when I talk about that. And we talked a little bit about the defensive line earlier and some of the players. But how do they manage that? And do they keep people well rested throughout a football game? They did. And now they won't be able to. Um, <laughs> when Daniil Hunter was in there, he was going to play every snap. And then they would rotate in DJ Wanham. They just started working in Kenny Willekes, who was a seventh-round draft pick for them. Sheldon Richardson was coming in and out. Armand Watts. But Michael Pierce being out and Daniel Hunter, if Pierce is out this week, we haven't seen the injury report yet, but um, that it's a lot thinner now. Now it's Armand Watts has to play a lot. He's a late-round draft pick for them a couple of years ago. He's developed into a decent player, but, I mean, he's not Michael Pierce. He can be run over at times. Um, but he's improved, I think, quite a bit. Tomlinson is good. He plays probably 45 snaps. When they signed Everson Griffin, the expectation was that he was going to play like 40 snaps. And then people got hurt. People didn't play as well. Everson Griffin played well. And all of a sudden he's back to 60 snaps again, and they're having to rely on him. So now he becomes the entire centerpiece of that defensive line. And I mean, he's on the older side now in his 30s, I think 33, maybe going on 34. So it, it will be interesting to see how week after week, 
uh, after the bye now, you know, how those snaps add up. I mean, he was great against Dallas coming off of the bye, but now you're going on the road, you're playing on grass, and he's going to have a lot of weight to carry on his shoulders with Daniil Hunter out. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, playing on grass, I, I've never thought about that as being something that would make it more difficult to play more snaps, but you make an interesting point. You Well, not more snaps necessarily, but maybe just creating the same sort of impact as playing on turf where he's at his quickest because he really wins with the quickness. And what we've seen is, I know this sounds funny, but – the Vikings, in terms of their sack production at home, and I know noise is probably a big part of this too, but at home versus in grass stadiums, it's just different. It's over a long sample size under Mike Zimmer that they do not get after quarterbacks in the same way when it's a grass stadium on the road. So, hmm. All right. Yeah. That's why I brought it up. Not not because uh, his snap count would be different, but just that you know he's not he doesn't have that same quickness on grass that he does on turf. Fascinating. Honestly, really fascinating to hear that. Um, take us through pass rush scheme and personnel. Uh, what will we see typically, a four-man rush or, or a lot of blitzing? Yeah, it's going to be mostly four-man rush. They don't blitz a whole lot. Um, every once in a while, early downs, though, it's very rare. Uh, it's mostly the idea is have the big guys in, in the front, stop them, uh, stop the run early on, play a lot of two-deep safeties, and then – if they're if they're being forced, they'll bring a safety up into the box if they're getting run over. But that's pretty rare. I mean, in recent years, Zimmer has become very much play too deep. A lot of times, you'll look at the screen and you'll go, "Oh, it looks like they're playing a single high safety." Then the very last second, Harrison Smith drops back and it ends up two deep safeties. And I think that's caused a lot of problems for inexperienced quarterbacks in recent years, and even sometimes for somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, where you get your pre-snap read and you're all ready to do something. And then suddenly, just as you're snapping the ball, it's a completely different look. I think they're very, very good at that. But I mean, Zimmer, mostly it's nickel. Uh, If you're playing three wide receivers, it's going to be nickel and it's going to be four man rush and then everybody cover. And they've had a good amount of success with it. I mean, they they struggled with some miscommunications against the uh, Cardinals and that cost them. But the rest of the year, they played pretty well defensively. Of course, they have not played Lamar Jackson in that caliber quarterback in a while. So that's probably played into it. But, yeah, I mean, all the blitz stuff, it all comes on third down for Mike Zimmer. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, Definitely a case, by the way, where I don't think a nickel defense committed is going to hurt Minnesota as much as it typically could a quarterback on third down because right now the Ravens running game is so impotent in terms of what they actually give you in terms of the running back we saw Cincinnati very effectively same same four three scheme uh, a lot of a lot of linebacker on third down as well and they're they're basically not making additional read steps they're they're basically you know daring the Ravens to run and they really don't do it very often where they or successfully anyway, where they, uh, where they can beat that. It's uh, it's not the same offensive line. It's not the same, obviously set of running backs. So uh, that'll be a, a, a challenge for the Ravens in this one. Uh, introduce us to the position groups. And again, we got, got to go quickly here. We're doing, we're, we're it's a great show, tremendous, def- a tremendous depth, but take us through the defensive linemen quickly than the linebackers and, and uh, who they have. Yeah, sure. Um, you want me to just start like uh, right defensive end to left? However um, you like. Okay. Well, I mean, Everson Griffin has been great this year. Like I said, uh, he's 
got the same quickness, the same violence in his game that he's always had, and he's going to be a handful for anybody. Um, they will move him around a little bit more than they used to, but now with Daniel Hunter out, that becomes more difficult. Um, Delvin Tomlinson has been, I would say, solid, but he's not an impact player. Like, you know, a gap stuffer, and every once in a while he'll push somebody back into the quarterback, but not really an impact player, but solid. Uh, Armand Watson, I mentioned, he's um, a late-round draft pick that's sort of emerging, but they miss Michael Pierce a lot. If Pierce is playing, it's, a, I think, a different story because you mentioned that the Ravens can't run. Well, this is like uh, the opposite of the immovable force versus unstoppable. I mean, this is <laughs> the, Viking, the Vikings' run defense has been bad without Michael Pierce, and the Ravens' run offense has been bad. So I guess we'll find out you know, who wins out on that one. And now it's DJ Wanham instead of Daniel Hunter. Daniel Hunter was up at the top of the league in all the categories you want, the pressures, QB hits, win rates, PFF grade, all that stuff. I mean, he's an elite player. For him to go down, DJ Wanham won the job um, on the other side of Hunter out of training camp and immediately lost it to Everson Griffin. Uh, he has not put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks since he came into the league. And I think that they're very concerned and should be, that there's almost nobody – Unless Sheldon Richardson suddenly emerges, he's been more of a rotational player. There's almost nobody who is going to get after the passer outside of Griffin. And uh, as far as the linebackers go, you have uh, Kendricks and Barr, who we talked about. And then Nick Vigil is their base package linebacker, who I guess you might see. Very familiar. Yep. 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 Yeah. You know him from Cincinnati. So yep. he's, a, he's fine. Like he's, he's a guy in the league. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's, it's not like he has some special skill set. The one issue that he does have, though, is in the run defense because he's on the lighter side, more of a coverage linebacker. So that could be an issue if they're putting bigger personnel and the Vikings match that with base. All right. Uh, take us through the secondary then as well, if you would. Yeah, Cam Dantzler, um, as I mentioned earlier, has struggled quite a bit. He's going to start in the place of Patrick Peterson. Bashad Breeland has also had a really rough season, both on Twitter and on the field. Um, what know, happened? Saw a couple. Well, he just, <laughs> after a game where he had some struggles, tweeted out something a little bit lewd toward Vikings fans, and uh, so that made some noise here locally. Uh, I won't read it on your show, but not not a great look for Bashad Breeland. He's really struggled. He's committed a lot of penalties. Um, receivers have been able to create separation against him. It just looking like a guy that probably has had better days in his career. Uh, Xavier Woods came over from Dallas in the offseason. He's been great for the Vikings playing next to Harrison Smith, but everyone is great playing next to Harrison Smith. Harrison has not had the splash plays this year, but everybody has the same respect for him that they've always had. I mean, he's an all-pro talent. And so it's probably like what you saw with Eric Weddle toward the end of his career where, yeah, it wasn't quite as dominant, but the guy is still very, very good. Mm -hmm. All right. Outstanding. Uh, I'll ask you, just in general, how do you expect the, the Vikings to approach trying to contain Lamar as a runner, uh, perhaps, and, and trying to, however they may uh, deal with Brown and now Bateman, I guess, and Andrews uh, in terms of the receivers. Yeah, I think their biggest concern is probably Brown uh, and Bateman just winning one-on-one -on -one, uh, because that's what Dallas was able to do to get a good game out of Cooper Rush. They just had receivers win one-on-one, -on -one, and ultimately that – it's kind of we talk about all these scheme things, and a lot of times that's what the NFL is about, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have two receivers that you can't stop, and we're going to get them in man coverage, and they're going to beat you. Um, so that's a, a major concern, I think, for the Vikings. If they can stop the run with their front seven, then maybe that becomes easier because you can give a lot of help 
uh, to people. As far as stopping Lamar Jackson, I mean, I don't know if there's a model to stopping Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, I'm sure that they'll try to use Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr to contain him. I'm sure that they'll try to stay in their rush lanes and all that stuff. They tried that against Kyler Murray, and, you know, these guys are they are just dynamic, explosive, exciting all-time fun-to-watch players, that there is no real model to be able to stop them. I do think that, you know, the corner blitz might be something we see uh, against running quarterbacks that can, you know, be a a thing that kind of, since their natural uh, feel is to kind of escape outside, sending corner blitzes and things like that could be a thing that you do. Um, I'm sure Zimmer will have something for them, but really I think it probably comes down to somebody, either Barr or Kendricks, is going to have to have their eyes on Lamar Jackson at all times. Okay, so a spy situation, or you know, kind of a soft zone, short zone guy on one to one of the two sides. All right, well, it makes a lot of sense. How about give us one player you think matches up, and you can do one on each side of the ball if you want for the Vikings against the Ravens. Who do you expect to have a big game? Well, I mean, Justin Jefferson had four targets last week. I mean, if they don't give him more than that, I mean. Mike Zimmer just might be walking home. I mean, it just it, it, it could be like that because uh, he's the superstar. He's the future of your franchise. And in no NFL game should a player of that talent end up with four targets. So I think that whoever he's matched up against, Jefferson is always, almost always, if not always, the better player. Um, even against Trayvon Diggs, who leads the league in interceptions, Diggs on multiple occasions had to straight up tackle Justin Jefferson to not allow big plays from him. Uh, when those two were matched up. So Justin Jefferson against whoever you got. And I, you know, I think that um, the Vikings offensive line in the interior against the schematics and the blitzes and the rushes, because this is, even though they've been a unit together for a while, you have inexperienced players, uh, inexperienced, left guard, inexperienced, right guard and stunts, twists, pressures, simulated pressures, delayed, like things like that they just tend to cause the Vikings problems because of the inexperience of the offensive linemen, that there's oftentimes confusion on who's taking who and things like that. And if there's an open rusher, that guy's going to succeed because Cousins, as I outlined earlier, cannot run away from anything. So I think that's right there. If the interior of the offensive line can at least hang tight on the different looks and the pressure coming from different places, they have a chance to operate offensively. All right. Very, very interesting, because I, I, I would see that as a very big part of this game in terms of uh, Ravens pass rush scheme being used extensively. Uh, terrific stuff, Matthew. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Tell people again your Twitter handle, where they can find your show. Any other plugs you want to do as well? Yeah, sure. Um, they can follow the uh, Purple Insider Twitter account. It's just purple underscore insider. That's where we tweet out a lot of our stories and clips from our shows and things like that. Uh, that's probably a good place to find all the rest of our works if you're on Twitter. If you're looking for some podcasts to take the pulse of the Vikings, again, it's maybe you picked up on the vibe here. Not a great situation. Uh, just the, not a lot of happiness from Vikings fans at the moment. So Purple Insider Podcast, those are probably the best places to find me. You know, you'd be surprised because I do one of these every week, of course. And I think almost every team, and I go on it myself, has their frustrations. I mean, the Ravens are 5-2, and two, but we're tremendously frustrated with where this mm-hmm. team now is in terms of injuries, individual weaknesses, and whatnot. As sports fans, I think we like to complain a lot. And it shows in, in what we do in terms of our podcast. But uh, it's not surprising, and you're not over the top in terms of the, the, the vibe here at all. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Matthew. Uh, I want to remind people, if you want to do a 25 Years episode with me on the Ravens, 
history, please hit me up on Twitter with a quick DM. I'll get back to you quickly. We'll do that. Uh, Matthew, thanks again for coming on. Yep. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.